Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast where we're learning how to build a wealthy life by first with the rules brought to us by the greatest investors in the world, Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, Ben Graham. And then today we're going to wander out of the out of that major focus, out of that pipe and wander into what does it take to really build a great life? Okay, what does it take? So we got a pretty cool guest with us, don't we? We have somebody who knows not only all about that, but is has thought so much about it and is now living it, which I think is so cool and fascinating. And I'm just thrilled to have Sherry Salata on the podcast today. Hi, Sherry. Hi. Oh my gosh. It's, just, it's a thrill to see you again. Oh, thank you. So Sherry is a former producer with the Oprah Winfrey Show. She had a 21-year career with Oprah and ended up as the co-president of Harpo Studios and OWN, which is the Oprah Winfrey Network, and worked her way up. And it is some, it is, it is amazing. I mean, you must just be incredible at your job. So now I'll just quickly say now you're off doing your own thing and really working on living your best life in your own way, coming up with these different ways to uh, develop really everything that uh, probably didn't happen because you were working 20 hour days for Oprah. Well, I I like to say, Danielle, that I've gone from um, uh, living a dream job to now working on living a dream life. (laughs) And and taking, you know, if there was a company benefit uh, to working at the Oprah Winfrey Show, um, and, and there were many, but the real one, the, the real treasure chest um, I took away was a spiritual life hmm. and the exposure to new thoughts and ideas that um, made it possible for me to even know, hey, hey, girl, you're not living a dream life. You know, you've had a dream job for so long that's kind of overshadowed and kind of distracted you or you used as as an excuse, but you're not living a dream life. And now you're in your 50s, and if not now, when? And that's kind of how that, um, that dream quest was launched. Did you feel happy when you were in that intense career? I'm just curious because you just mentioned that you didn't feel like you had the dream life. Did you feel happy? Well, I only know now looking back that it wasn't the dream life, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, it was exciting. It was stimulating there. It was so jam packed with meaning that it's an irreplaceable part of who I am and the privilege of my life to have done it. So happy. I mean, I I, I would say that, I could have done it with more ease. I could have done that level of responsibility. So I ran the show for the last five years, which is, you know, um, not a small thing. You know, there were moments where it would feel like you were holding up the world because um, in service to this beloved woman who was literally changing the culture of the world. So that felt, that felt a little like brain surgery. You know, people say it's not brain surgery. Well, kind of felt like it. So, yeah, so was I happy? I had hilarity and mad um, accomplishment and that kind of joy that comes from knowing that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, But, you know, I I was very compartmentalized. You know, I mean, at the end of the week, I would just be spent and, you know, and have little left for anything else. And because I found some other parts of my life challenging, I could use that big dreamy job as an excuse not to pay attention to everything else. So you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So when you first started out back, you know, (laughs) (laughs) at college, (laughs) how did you get started? Oh, I, you know, I've said that if I were to write a book about that, it would be, I did everything wrong and it turned out all right. (laughs) So I, I, you know, I, I wanted my business card filled out. I wanted a profession like, like a new outfit um, that I could sashay around in and then be somebody. So I started out in pre-med and I laugh through this whole thing. My father, I can see his face now kind of, um, kind of like, yeah, oh, that sounds like a good idea. You're going to be a doctor. Are you? Yes, dad, I'm going to be a doctor. You know, I'm going to save people and I'm going to 
where I have a stethoscope. And, and, and the first semester, I had nearly flunked out of college after being at the top of my class in high school because I had no business doing that um and oh, then sounds miserable it was totally math for biological sciences it nearly killed me <laughs> tell me class, about it the class was at eight in the morning and it was interfering with my social life um so I looked around and instead of, again, cautionary tale, instead of taking the kinds of classes that would fill me up that I loved, like writing and literature, I'm like, I need to know what I'm going to be right now. So I, one of my friends was a business major in marketing. I'm like, okay, that looks like I can get a job doing something. So then, you know, I proceeded to, to go down that road and I graduated from Iowa with not a plan without not a strategy and I moved to Dallas with $50 in my pocket and ended up as a typist <laughs> so um and you know as is my nature when when I when I when I go into something I want to be the best at it so I was the best darn typist so I got promoted to chief typist and and on and on and on until I ended up um, at 7-Eleven in their training program, managing stores. God, yeah. So you were managing a 7-Eleven. I, I could break down a Slurpee machine. Yeah, <laughs> I could. And uh, yeah, and it was um, humbling. It was humbling because I, I thought I was going to be kind of a big glamorous deal. And by glamorous, I mean like the kind of, kind of career that would be enviable. And, you know, I'm in a smock running a register, you know, having people um, snip at me that the cough, they're out of coffee. And, um, but I, I really muscled through that and worked my way to have being a district manager where I had seven or eight stores. And then I was just about ready to be promoted to the glass tower, the corporate job where everybody wanted to get everybody's like yeah yeah we love our stores oh my god please get me to corporate and uh as it was about to happen or it was close to happening as my recollection is my my wonderful boss don um god bless you don i mean you didn't see this coming i walked in his office as he wanted to talk to me about my next steps and i burst into tears and told him i was quitting so at 27 years old I had, I had a little 401k, I had gotten my little raises, I gave it all up, I moved home, lived in my parents' basement as a complete and total failure. Yeah, but wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. You were, you were a complete and total success. You were the best at each step of the way. Yes. And suddenly, what, out of the blue, you walked in on your I way quit. to the West Tower? Yeah. What happened right there? Well, I had, a little, I had a little vision of myself at 60 years old sitting at a, a at a desk a wooden desk in a glass tower hermetically sealed and it's like this has been your life how do you feel about that and I was like nope this is not my life this is not my path it is an exciting and wonderful path for someone whose path it is but it's not that for me it's not yeah. it's not fit Sherry, we talk sometimes um, at our workshops about things that are not exactly directly related to learning to invest the way Buffett and Munger do. Yeah, and, and on the, the podcast, by the way, constantly yeah, and, we're and on the podcast, torturing we wander, everyone. <laughs> we wander off. But one, and one of the things we talk about is this concept of Dharma, which, I mean, to me, it sounds like that that feeling that you had that you weren't on the right track started to really pop out right about there. Yeah. Is that, how do you, how do you think about something like Dharma? Um, I think that's right. And I think, I think there's a, there's an internal compass always that's going on. And I would say for about 54 years of my life, misery was my compass. Hmm. So I would, I would let myself get so unhappy and miserable, and that would express itself in a number of ways, that finally it was change or die. Hmm. Change yeah, or sometimes die. I, I think of that as, as um, you're standing there holding your hand in the fire yeah. over the yes. stove, yes. And, and you have gurus come along and say, but it's good for you. It's good for you. Suffering is good. You should <laughs> keep it in there. The thing, look at what you're learning about yourself. <laughs> yes. When the whole time it's nature trying to get you to take your hand out of the fire. 
That's right. That's right. And then, and, and, you know, it's taken me all this time to realize I look back and I try to look back, not always successful with loving, compassionate eyes at the me I was and say, and realize that, oh, you, you, why didn't you take the easy road? Compa you know, happiness is the compass. Happiness is the compass. And you can, you can delicately dance your way down happy road as opposed to, you know, always putting yourself in a change or die situation, which is, you know, I just, there, there was something about my Midwestern upbringing that was, you know, rooted in my DNA. It was in my bones that, you know, somebody pays you money, you give them a thousand percent, you take your lunch pail, you don't leave your desk, um, and you work to be the best you can be. And so there was, there was something about chasing, um, uh, validation, you know, I'm good. I'm, I'm successful. I'm, you know, there was a, there was a missing piece there I was trying to fill and I, I would, I would stop at nothing clearly to fill it. Well, do you, do you think that all of, I'm, I'm thinking of just my, my years on as a river guide down in the Grand Canyon where I would, I would not see, I would not feel the current. I couldn't feel the current because the water was all brown and it was a little choppy. And I wouldn't really notice that we were drifting out of the current sometimes until I got stuck in an eddy and was just going around and around in circles. And then you can't help but notice it, right? Right, right. right. It becomes really obvious that you're not That's on right. the current. And then you, gotta, then you got to go through the pain to get out of that thing. And That's it's right. a pretty good metaphor, I think. But you know what? It's like... Do you, do you think you've learned, like, it's a process that you learn from and eventually you decide to row out of the eddy a little bit? Well, here, here's where, okay, so here's where I'm at now. What I see now is not my only job on this earth is my happiness. Hmm. That is my job. That is my mission. That is my reason for being. And that, that happiness is is the life force expressed through me and that becomes my offering to the world my um ability to my my love my 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 you know my love muscle my um ability to show up in everything in every way you know at my, the highest expression of myself um Happiness, really like that. happiness wasn't even on my list back then. It was like, never mind about happy. I need to be, you know, so, so now that I understand that it is, it is completely turned the concept of work and, and even abundance and, and how I bring that to myself on its head that in, in every day now, and this is so I've been at this really seriously, this idea of radical self-care for about 18 months. And it isn't like I'm a newbie at it. You know, I was at the Oprah show for <laughs> decades. And, um, I, you know, I, I was a, a real student of all the spiritual teachers that would, would, would come through our doors. Um, but so I've had all this information and, and wanting to integrate it into my life. And, you know, for me, because I had so many patterns of putting everything else first, I literally had to, um, I had to put myself in a position where I could truly understand and integrate what the, the knowledge I have, the knowing that I knew, the things that I've been reminded of and say, there is nothing more important than radical self-care. There is nothing more important than how you define that, Sherry. And everything else is going to flow from there. Any quote-unquote work you do, any quote-unquote relationship you have, any quote-unquote um, um, abundance that comes, continues to come, doesn't come, comes bigger, all of that is going to be in directly related to your commitment and embodiment of this new understanding. It's hard for somebody who has such a high level of living up to expectations, as you just described, you grew up with those Midwestern values. It's really, really difficult to say to yourself, it's okay to put myself first. 
it's okay, and it's actually really important. And I think that's true when it comes to these things like taking care of yourself just to bring it around to money stuff with money. I mean, what we're doing here on our podcast and in our work is talking about value investing and, um, and putting some time into an investing practice that not only supports developing money and financial support in your life, but also supports really deepening your values throughout the rest of your life. And it's very hard to find the time to do that. Even that, which is so simple and obvious. Right, so how not. did you, how did see, you get gonna, into it? Well, I'm going to challenge that because I'm going to challenge that for myself and for, for us that it's not hard. Once you make the decision that you are your own priority, all, you have all the time in the world for that stuff. You know, and I think about the relate my relationship to money in my life. Um, when I was, you know, kicking ass at these jobs I would have that were ill-fitting, I didn't have enough money. I mean, I, I was the one in the grocery store line who going, mm, okay, I'll put back the Triscuits, you know, <laughs> and, and, and always having that uneasy feeling that I wasn't going to be able to make my Montgomery Ward's $45 TV payment, um, that I was so living on the edge. Um, when So the, the first change in that for me and my relationship with money was the minute I clicked in, at 35 years old, I started at an entry-level job at the Oprah Winfrey Show entry level and I had to start over salary wise you know I was it was like the third time I had completely started over but I could have cared less about the the money the salary the whatever because I knew all of that was going to take care of itself when I was connected when I connected meaning to producing when I was able to connect those two things where every day I knew I was on mission and I felt passionate about it, that all of a sudden that abundant thing was going to be, was going to flow like, you know, you know, like water in a gutter. And, and I just didn't worry about it. I just am like, it's going to take, it's, it's going to come. I'm not going to fret. I'm not going to resist. I'm going to put my focus on this and, and, and sure enough, that became the thing that I had to think about least. It's amazing that you use the word mission there. I'm connecting meaning, meaning with producing because that's what I did exactly with investing. Once I found, and I call it mission. Once I found a mission in companies that I could get behind, that I wanted to vote for with my money, that were doing things in the world that I wanted to actually literally provide support for, suddenly, boom. It became super interesting. It's a different story. And that's what this all is. It's about what are the stories you're telling in your life about your life to yourself. That's right. That story changes everything. That just changed money for me. Listening to you say that. It's totally different, isn't it? It's like, totally different. Oh my God, of course I'd want to get behind great companies. Yeah, like it's not even hard anymore. And you actually feel, I feel, this sounds a little extreme maybe, but I kind of feel like a warrior with my money where I'm like, oh, like that thing doesn't get my money, but this other thing, yes, you're a winner. <laughs> oh, good. I mean, Sherry, we spend a lot of time, a lot of us spend a lot of time really agonizing about the quality of leadership in our, in our country, the, which is expressed in the quality of leadership in many corporations where you have these executives who are paying themselves this huge amount of money while they're laying off employees, while they're wrecking the environment, while they're just in it for themselves, instead of being leaders who are there to, to you know, sort of in the old infantry school of leadership, right? You, you want to lead, you go first up the hill. You don't go last up the hill, right. you eat last, you sleep last, your people are the most important thing in the world. And that, that idea that, that these people um, are able, through their manipulation of boards of directors, to just bastardize the whole situation in a company is, is only due to the fact that 85% of the money being invested is being invested by fund managers who don't care about any of that. All they care about is keeping up with their peer group in terms of how they're doing um, with their fund. And that means 
that 85% of the money, little guy money, the California Teachers Association are the largest single investor in the U.S. stock market, California Teachers Pension Fund. And they are moral people who talk about all kinds of moral decisions in the classroom, and then they've turned their money over to other people who vote for the very things that these teachers are against, many of them. So you, you, when, what Danielle's talking about is taking control of our of our future. Like, where do you want the world to be in 20 years? Do you want it to be full of Teslas or do you want, you know, gas guzzling, smoke billowing, you know, whatever's, right? So, and you vote for that with your money. Your money goes into 401k or into an IRA and somebody's voting that money. And man, 85% of the money out there is being voted not by the people who care about it, but by other people. So we've given away our votes. And as we know, that's a bad idea. So what Dan, what I try to do with Danielle is try to figure out what would click with her that would get her interested in this. Because I've been trying to teach her this and she's a little tiny Hold kid. Hold on. You didn't come up with this. Yes. Don't I, well, you dare no, no, wait, no, wait. no, wait, wait. Well, okay. Not entirely. All right. All right. Let's dial it back. Let's, let's hear it. <laughs> let's hear it. This is my story, Sherry. <laughs> so this is how I see it, the story I'm telling. Bill Town version. Let's hear it. Good. That's right. So I will confess that Danielle has had a big impact on how I see what I've been doing for a long, long time. And this is one of those areas where um, it was the this sudden recognition that she could influence the world with this lever of investment capital that really clicked in for her. It was like, oh, hey, dad, all of a sudden, this is something I'm interested in. And from there, she got going. The other thing is that I just was thinking is that a lot of time we think that money should take a lot of time. And I love the idea that you said that you didn't even think about it. It was abundance was just coming because you were doing dharmic stuff. You were doing what you were born to do. Right. And then the money just kind of flowed from there. And I just think that is so right on. It's almost like a a view of, hey, how are you doing? Are you on Dharma? Let's check. How's the money flow going? That's, you know? that's right. Because that's it's, right. A, it's a pressure point. It's If you don't have money, then you're feeling pressure. Your hand's in the fire. And you got to find a way to move from there to something that's comfortable. And I love what you're saying. It's like, hey, don't go for the money. Go for something else. What's, yeah. what's the something else you, you're gonna, you would think we would go for? And, and right, and make it. And I think the one thing that I would add to that is you have to kind of double check um, your deep-seated beliefs about money. I mean, I think money's good. I think money's freedom. I think money um, is can is is joy. Um, I think it is a, a vehicle to do just what you're saying to to in, in invest in companies that you're in alignment with, to stay in integrity, um, to bring you know to give you all kinds of opportunities to have experiences. But I didn't really grow up that way, Phil. I mean, uh, you know, generate. I grew up raised by a generation. You know, I'm thinking of my mom right now. That would be like, you only get so much. You know, like the idea that I speak every day, like dream big, how many, let's go. That would have been just an anathema to my mother. You know, my mother would have been like, you know, it, it would be beyond the dreams of her poss of possibility because it, it was in conflict with the idea of service. It was the con in conflict of the idea of goodness. Um, and and I'm, I'm exaggerating that a little bit, you know, in terms of how she behaved, but I understood that, that somehow money wasn't, you know, you know, there was some issues around that. And I cleaned that up for myself. And I say, money, money, money. You know, it's a, it's a, it, what money is, is an exchange of something for something that I, you know, that I value. It's an exchange. It's a, it's a vehicle. Um, and you can, you can use it in a number of ways. And I choose to use it for joy. How did you clear that up for yourself? Was it a conscious decision like you just described or was there more to it? Well, I finally got some money and I realized this is good. 
<laughs> that's, what, that's what happened. You know, I was like, wow. Oh, my goodness. Look where I can live. Oh, my goodness. I can pay my cleaning lady more. Oh, I can take a trip. Or I can put five people in my family through college. Yay. I mean, that's really what happened is I didn't even know how good it was till I had some. That's what money is about. It's not about the money. It's about the choices that it creates in your life. It's about the removal of the stress of worrying about money. It's about being to help people, getting to help people that you love do something they want to do, like that's go right. to college. I, I mean, love that's that. the beauty of it. Yeah, and you can spend it on yourself. That's okay. Totally. You can, you can get yourself things. Material items, you know, again, I feel like, well, listen, I was, I, I was a have-not, and I was probably just as snarky about it as anybody because it's, it's like, it's, it, it's like you're, when, when you don't have the spiritual chops to know, admiring something in somebody else is a way to bring it you know, closer to yourself, and you're just like, you know, you're, you're tearing down people who like nice clothes because you can't afford them or you can't fit in them. Or, you know, you know, people, they only care about things because you don't, you can't buy yourself any things. Um, you know, that's kind of a, a self uh, perpetuating cycle of scarcity instead of going, wow, it is really great to be able to go out and buy something I want. Yeah. And I think where a lot of people stop is they feel the desire to have that experience. Oh, I can go out and buy everything they want. They want that experience. But between where we are today and that experience, they don't know how to bridge that divide. And that's painful. And the second you feel that pain, I back off. I don't want to feel that pain. So I choose not to think about it. And that's where I was my whole life until years ago. Yeah, it's... Our Danielle's grandfather, my dad, didn't have anyone in his life ever going back forever, which includes, by the way, Ottumwa, Iowa. In the oh, yeah, on. all the way back there making harnesses for horses um, back at the turn of the, of the what is that, twentieth century. So, um, my dad, my dad never understood this. He just thought you had to work harder. Yeah. So you know, there was a, there was no, we didn't have a lot of money. He didn't have a great paying job and so he worked a second not great paying job and it drove my mother nuts (laughs) she couldn't understand why this guy wouldn't step out of these careful safe ways to go get some money and take a little risk and move in the direction of making potentially more money right Right. he but he's a depression era kid he right. came out of World War II, where he flew um, with uh, the fly, you know the guys that were supporting Chiang Kai-shek in China after, in 1946. He was still at war after Japan, and you know you guys come back from that and they have a different view of the world about right. risk and about what's That's the right. right thing to do, and it's so wrapped up in in this these feelings about money that I think in a lot of ways he just pushed it away. Things came to him that were on hindsight, obviously really good ideas. He probably should have done any number of them, but he couldn't, it just was blocked. What, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you say about something like that? How's, how's his story doing on a thing like that? Well, here's the thing about when you're, you're much older and you haven't been able, you know, you haven't you know, un- cracked that code. There, there's some things that, you know, as, as we know, the older you get, if you don't get on this now, it gets more difficult to kind of really change those beliefs and it, and it gets more difficult to kind of reset those neural, neural pathways. So, you know, I'm always, Phil, honestly, I'm always talking to myself because I realize I'm, in, I'm at ground zero right this minute. If, if I don't integrate the, the beliefs and, and, and clean up my shit and integrate the the beliefs that I want to hold that are going to chart the course of the rest of my years in this physical experience, then I'm probably never going to get it done. So I wake up every day saying, if not now, when, if not now, when, if not now, when Sherry, because there isn't another when, I mean, clearly all we have is now, all we have is this moment, but the million choices that I'm going to make in this day, 
is serving that idea I have that I want to make sure when I'm 99 that I can say, wow, you really you really went to town at 56, Sherry. You really decided that you were going to live the life of your dreams, and so you have. I mean, that's incredible because you create an example, I think, for, for you know, the future generations. They're going to look at you and say, okay, that's, that's how I want to roll. Right. I mean, you see how vibrant she is at 92 years old. Right. Right. I mean, the moment... The woman that runs the Golden Door. I forgot her name. but you, you, Oh, right. I remember. Yeah. She's 92 and she's running around and just wide open, full throttle, you know? Yeah. And you just go, whatever she's doing, that's good. There's a model right there. I want to do some of that. I'm looking at Sherry and thinking that, honestly. <laughs> I think of that Damn, too, Sherry. Girl. You are like a <laughs> And we think of that actually more and more. We're talking about that concept of, of, uh, in, a, in a sense, not living for other people, but in a sense, having your life ultimately be something that other people look at. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, that's the best way to serve, right? It's a great way to serve. It's not about sacrifice and it's not about, you know, have to's and it's not about, you know, like having to, you know, support everybody. And, you know, it really is about if you getting your own light bright enough where it has a real impact. And if it doesn't, that's fine, too. That's not the reason to do it. But that is the ultimate outcome of, put, of, of making your happiness your number one yeah. priority. I, more and more, Sherry, I think of, of this as generational wealth, yeah. which has w- multiple meanings, right? More and more, I think I'm of the broad meaning of wealth. A life that's well in all these categories is a wealthy life. And you know, we talk about generational wealth in the sense that the kind of path we're going down to invest with is a path that's created more generational wealth than anything I've ever known about. I mean, some of the richest people in the world have followed Ben Graham and Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett are among them. And they create this enormous opportunity for people, their, their, you know, their siblings or their, their kids or whoever's there, and for the rest of the world. Not too long ago, we just went to see Charlie Munger uh, do his annual report in Pasadena, California. And I mean, he's 94 years old. Charlie Munger is Warren Buffett's investing partner. Yeah, he's Warren Buffett's investing partner. Charlie's 94. He's a billionaire. And there were 400 people, most of whom were millionaires or uh, multimillionaires, who got there because they copied his investing strategies over these years. And they were all showing up at like seven o'clock in the morning in order to get a seat for an event that would start at 1030. And we're in line with these people. And here's Monash Prabhai who's managing a billion dollars. Here's this other guy who's managing Saudi money. And they're all just standing there. And it's not like Charlie's going to say anything new. He's been saying the same thing for 60 years. It's that you pay homage to the generation that made your eyes open up to this way that created this great life for you. To be in the, in the energy, just to be in the energy field, right? There you, yeah. You bow down to the master right there in person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so awesome. So, so tell wanna, us a little bit. Oh, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I just want to know more about this story concept for a couple of reasons. First, I, I'll, I just deeply want to learn from someone who is as deeply uh, educated in this as you are. I mean, running own working with Oprah all these years you as you say have been around the gurus of, of right. self-knowledge and enlightenment for so many years so I want to hear that from that point of view but also just because when one of the fundamental strategies we have for investing is to create a story we have our own idea of story which is a story about a company like Whole Foods and its own you know its CEO John Mackey and how does that story come together to tell you that this is a good investment or not. Let so, me explain what a story is, the, the way yeah, my dad yeah. is talking about it, because it's not very clear. Um, <laughs> so when he, does, when he says a story of a company, what he means really is putting together your argument for buying that company. Right. So it goes and against from, both. Yeah, but that's inverting the story against it. Which is, okay, fair enough. Okay, right. I'm dividing them. Yeah. Fine. Um, so the story basically says, you know, here's what the company is. Here's what it does. Here's its industry. Here's why it has a competitive advantage. Here's who runs it. 
here's its price and why it's on sale. And here's the mission and why I desperately want to own that company. Then you invert the story. You basically try to argue against yourself, which is very hard to do, and <laughs> say that everything you just said is total bunk and completely wrong. And you come up with those reasons. And then if you can, you rebut your inversion and see if that holds up. So yes, putting together your story when it comes to deciding where to vote with your money is really important. And it's something that can really get into your head sometimes. Oh my gosh. So story. Yeah. How do you use the idea of story? Yeah, we just threw a lot of stuff at you. Well, okay, so first of all, story is my jam, as you know. Since um, my my business partner and I co-founded a company named Story, and there's many layers to that idea. So obviously, I'm, I'm a writer and a producer. I love to tell stories. I've been telling stories for a long time. But now that my real job is radical self-care, um, I, for the first time in, in quieting myself a little bit, I've been able to see that the story that I tell myself about the areas of my life that are important to me is not something I was, I was consciously writing. So it's, you know, they've been called the tapes. Um, and I think there's a, you know, fair, we all fairly know that there's a, a, a self-critical voice that tapes go off in your head, but you know, my language around it, and I always have to use words that kind of resonate with me, is that story that I'm telling myself is the most important story I will ever tell. And I have been to Auschwitz with Elie Wiesel. So the most important story I will ever tell is the story I'm telling myself moment by moment about my life, about my dreams, about my body, about love, about family, about money, about um, creativity, um, and taking charge um, of, of the authorship of those stories that I'm telling myself um, is, is that practical putting my happiness first. That's the practical expression of it. Wow. That is super powerful. Yeah. I have never heard story described quite like that, but it's really powerful how you're saying it. Radical self-care defined by recognition that that story that may not be authored by you is the most important story. And so how do you get a hold of it? How do you grab that thing and rewrite it? Well, and it is, talk about, talk about a little bit of compassion. You have to go into this with compassion because you're going to feel like a failure about 30,000 times a day. But um, I, it's, it's, it is what we would also call the path to consciousness, which is I, I just am not going to let these crazy thoughts that are emanating from wrong thinking and, 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 and beliefs that are, you know, that haven't been cleaned up. I'm just not going to let them create my reality. So how do you get a hold of that? Well, obviously you get a hold of that through meditation that, that slows that mindset down. That puts you back in a point of consciousness. So for me, here's my little recipe. And I think everybody has a different recipe. Uh, I've tried on everybody else's suit of clothes and I could wear them to a couple cocktail parties, but they didn't stick (laughs) Not not in its, in their completion. So what I see now is I am to take, I, I, I am a chef in my gleaming spiritual life kitchen and I am to take my ingredients the ingredients that that particularly delight me by taste or smell or you know that really interest me and i'm to create my own recipe so here's an and i'm to continue tweaking it it's not set in stone so what it looks like for me right this minute and how i get control of that story and the authorship of it is i meditate twice a day and i now do that instead of yammer on about it. Um, I do at least 15 minutes of yoga a day. I do some sort of workout a, a day. Um, I have a, I eat a plant-based diet um, and, and tell myself a fantastic story about it, that it's about abundance and not deprivation and discipline. <laughs> um, I, um, 
you know, I daydream. I look at daydreaming as a very, very powerful life practice. Um, I make sure I have time for that. Um, and then I kind of sweep around the seven areas of my life that I have deemed integral to that that happiness priority. And I, I, I call it touching my pillars. I just try to touch my pillars every day. And I, I, I use it as a, as a strategy to stay conscious. What are those pillars? Um, health and wellness, uh, spirituality and happiness, romance and sex, friends and family, creativity and innovation, formerly known as work, um, discovery and adventure, and sanctuary and beauty. Hmm. Those are the seven pillars that Nancy Halla, uh, my, my co-host on our podcast, my co-founder and great friend, that's, that's what we came up with for us, that those are the areas that we want to be conscious in. Yeah, Sherry's, you guys is, check out, wait, let me just say the name of Sherry's podcast and I'll say yeah, it at yeah. the end, but yeah. it's This is 50 with Sherry and Nancy and it is fantastic. And you guys hey. all go listen to it because Sherry and Nancy have fantastic guests some of the time and then they just talk the other episodes and both of those things are just fun and educational and entertaining. So everybody should go check it out. And Sherry, you, you, your website, if people wanted to go and see that list written down someplace. It, can they go to your website? What's the website? Yeah, it's story.co. And I'm trying to think, do I have that written down? Hmm. Um, it's definitely, it's definitely in our podcast. It's in our podcast description. So yes, okay. yes, okay. it is. So do you mind one more time then health, yes. health and wellness, and wellness, spirituality and happiness, romance and sex, friends and family, Creativity and innovation, parentheses, formerly known as work, discovery and adventure, sanctuary and beauty. Wow. So this, and it sounds like I'm, I'm creating like a plan and, and what it is, all it really is, is because all it is for me is a little strategy of how I stay conscious and make sure that a day does not go by where I'm not on my happiness priority. So, so you're so practicing you, happiness yeah. in yes. all these practicing. different areas. Yeah. 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 And, and, and so we, we talked about meditation. That's that spiritual and happiness. So you're touching yes. that. Yes. Yoga, health and wellness, veggie yeah. diet, health and wellness, yeah. working out health and wellness. Yeah. What are you doing for creativity and innovation these days? That's story, right? That's what yes. we're doing. Well, that's story, and that is This is 50. So creating live events. I'm finishing a book. Um, I, that, that I, I was actually very stalled on, but, you know, when I, I met you, Danielle, um, in Hawaii, I, 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 something was unleashed in me. So that's back on track. Oh, that's fantastic. And I'm, I'm working on a little uh, an online course, and, you know, it, it all expressions and an outgrowth of what my real priority is, which is radical self-care. So when it feels like when I move to like create something to share or to, I think it's, Oh, this could be a good idea. Or I'm inspired out of a meditation. Like you should really do this. Then I do it. All right. So I have a question about your practice because I have a number of practices, including investing, which I certainly treat as a practice. I try to do a little bit every day and I treat it as something that I'm constantly growing at and am always learning. I have meditation, which is something I try to do a little every day. And then I have everything else I do. And I fail at these things all the time, Sherry. Yeah. I don't do it every day. And, or I do it and it's like terrible and I don't really want to. And then I get annoyed. And yes. then other times it's amazing and transformative and easy. Right. Do you go through that? Well, I have many times because I talked about all these things for 20 years before I started doing them. So I am completely in full understanding of what you're talking about. I mean, even I had, you know, Bob Roth, the head of the most famous meditation teacher in the world. And I know you, you guys know him to my house 
to talk to me about why I like to talk about meditation more than meditate. Um, <laughs> and he's so lovely. He's like, oh, just give yourself a break. You're busy. And I'm like, no, beat me, bud. <laughs> Tell me how bad I am. See, um, that's why he is who he is. <laughs> oh, he's so good. He's a great beating heart. Um, but here's what I have to say to that. It's all rooted in story, Danielle. It's, it's a story. What is the, now you just told me the story and I can relate. I've told myself that story many times. You're going to have to write a new story if you want that to change. Okay, tell me how to do that. Okay, so your new story, because you're saying what you want to do is you want to meditate every day. Sure. And you, and you want to keep being integrity about that. So your new story is going to have to be this. It doesn't matter how it feels. It, I don't have to accomplish anything. I don't have to be, you know, go right into, you know, um, float up to the clouds into Buddha's, you know, brain. All I have to do is sit. And that is going to, without fail, that's going to be my priority every day before I do my investment practice before I, you know, have my second cup of coffee before I, that is, that is going to be, um, you know, just non-negotiable because I really love sitting there and I really love when I get up and I know that I've done that for myself. And I really, I believe in meditation. I believe it. And it doesn't matter that it's awesome every single time, but I know over time it adds up. And so I'm just going to really um, love myself and put my happiness first. And I know sitting for meditation every single day is a key piece of that puzzle. And I'm not going to cheat myself out of that happiness. That's your new story. That's, Ooh, a, great that's a story. Great story. And I love this because we all struggle with the practices that we're going through, right? I mean, yeah. I, sat down, I, I went down the other day and looked at the, the workout log that I have in the gym. Yes. And it had, you know, March on it. <laughs> March was the last time. And that wasn't even last year. Really? You need <laughs> like, Phil, you need a new story. I need a new story about how. Yeah, you write your new stories and then you repeat them and then you repeat them. You write your new story. It's really fun to write the new story of your life. Do you write them down? Literally write them down? Someplace? I do. Okay, I'm a writer, so I do. But more, more even more than that, I met it, You know, I daydream about them. What's going to be my story? What do I want my story to be? What do I, I want my story to be? Gretchen Rubin, who wrote The Happiness Project, oh, writes about expectations now. And she, it's just reminding me that she wrote about a, a certain archetype of people who she calls um, rebels, who really don't respond to any expectations, either inner or outer. <laughs> and the only thing that they respond to is this perception of what kind, the way she describes it is, what kind of person am I? And if I'm the kind of person who meditates every day, then fine, you know, fine, I'll do it. Or if I'm the kind of person who pays my bills on time, then when the bills come, it's like, well, nobody's forcing me. I don't yeah. want to do it at all. But yeah. if that's the kind of person I am, I'll do it. And I totally relate to that. Yeah. Infusing a little bit of magic and dazzlement in your stories is not a mistake. Because the one thing we all respond to, no matter who we are and what kind of person we are, what type we are, we respond to hope. There is a little pilot light in every one of us that dreams uh, that dreams of the life lives of our dreams. You know, we're, we're dreaming of that life of our dreams. And um, sometimes, you know, we, we there, for some reason, we don't feel like we can have it. So, you know, really fanning the flames of that little pilot light of hope and saying, and, and that's what you're doing when you're writing your new stories. When you're telling yourself a new story is you're, 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 you're putting your money on hope. You're, you're saying not, not expectations or I have to, or all those things we end up resisting um, because I just don't want to. That, that new story is, of course I want to. I want to more than anything. I want to more than anything because happiness is my priority. So you're taking it from something negative and uh, limiting to something positive. You and must. Making you grow. That's what you're doing with investing, my friend. Exactly. That's what this, that, you've changed that story because exactly. you know, before we talked, I was like investing. Oh, scary. Mm, yeah. Right? Oh, I know. God. And oh also everyone God. who talks about it. Let's your checkbook. <sighs> um, but I listened to you and I went, 
wow, that's a very different story. It is. It, I, and it yeah. changes everything. It changes everything. It changed everything for my whole life. And yeah, you're totally right. Everybody else I hear, and this is why I avoided investing and money stuff my whole life is because you just hear all this negative stuff. You hear guys yelling on the TV and you hear people trying to give you advice who basically tell you like, stop buying good coffee and like, don't ever spend any money on anything fun or special. And that's how you'll like in 50 years, like be able to sort of enjoy your life. And you just kind of go like, yeah, that's probably true, but I don't want to do that. Like it doesn't make my life any better to hear that kind of stuff. And let's, let's get away from that. I love that. Put a little magic in your story. That's right. Make it something that adds to your life rather than detracts. And you've already demonstrated to yourself that it works. Because absolutely. you feel completely different about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sherry, I really love this podcast. This has changed me in a really fundamental way. And I am going to go talk about a new kind of story at our three-day workshops from now on, starting in three weeks with the first one. And I'm going to do it because of this conversation we had. And, oh, man, alive. That is so brilliant and so wonderful and so important. And I can feel that right in my core that I got to do that. Starting today, I'm going to start writing pieces of, of the story and daydream about it. And... I love it. I, I'm telling you, you got to come back and do another one of these with us. I will. This I will. I like. I think, I think. Here's what we should we should um, collaborate on together is that idea of what is a wealthy life. Mm. I love it because my mind is spinning. Has been spinning as we've been talking, and I think that would be a really, really great conversation because I'm I'm in the midst of defining that for myself. I love it. I, I love, love it. Yeah. I think that's good. Let's let's tee that up yeah. and do this again in a, in a few weeks. And then we're all, we'll just focus. Let's talk with Sherry Salat on what's a wealthy life. Yeah. And, and we got your website. We've got your podcast. I'm all over your podcast. You just made your biggest fan. Wait, so, I'm going to say those again. So the website is story.co. The podcast is This is 50 with Sherry and Nancy, and you can find it anywhere you find podcasts, including yeah. wherever you found this podcast. And yeah. uh, it's Sherry Salato. And check her. Also, your Instagram is awesome, Sherry. It's really fun. Hey. <laughs> Sherry, Thanks, guys. That was great. We need to do this again. This is so good. You are so phenomenal. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Sherry. Appreciate it. And I guess it's time to go play. Let's go. Thanks, See everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head over to investedpodcast.com for our show notes and a special offer on how the podcast listeners can attend my three-day transformational investing workshop for free, where we just teach the heck out of you for three straight days. We don't sell anything and we get you a scholarship to come to it for free. So come on over there and take a look at that. And by the way, as our lawyers want me to say, everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, and my opinion's right, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So this podcast is just for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it. So until next time, time to go play. <laughs>